Are you ready to get provoked? You're listening to Can I Live, a show created to excite, ignite, and expose. Let's tune in with your host, R.W. Jones. All right. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Can I Live podcast. Can I live? I mean, can I live? This is not a it's a thing we say, but it's a thing we're going to really, really say in the next coming months as the pressure just kind of balls in and, and just kind of gets thick. This thing has yet to get thick. You think it's thick. It's not thick yet. It's it's a brewing. It's a boiling, but it's not thick. It's not running over, boiling, popping, popping, popping all over the place. That's not happening yet, but it will soon. Um, today, we're really excited about our guest, we have a guest speaker, an interview, we're calling this podcast, an interview with Fairhouse's fairy godmother. And you'll see why later on we call her the fairy godmother, at least Fairhouse's fairy godmother. Now, I know that most of you know, you know, Can I Live? We are a national public housing tenants association. And most people hear that and they, I don't know what they think. Some people have even asked me to not say tenants association. Like the brand of Can I Live was just like so strong and just the word tenants association just kind of made it seem like it was something else. Don't ask me why and what that was. Um, but there is a connotation. There's a negative connotation that comes when it comes to poverty and public housing and section eight. And so Pretty much almost 90% of everyone on our board, advisory board, you know, who, who works within the organizations are residents of subsidized housing, whether Section 8 public housing, project-based housing, housing, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's something wonderful for me personally, because I was a welfare mom and was able to climb out and, you know, access this group of people that had similar experiences to me. What I knew is, we were valuable. We had something to offer. There was things that absolutely God was totally in. He was in the business of blessing us. He was in the business of making sure that our our plans to prosper was a real thing. Despite if white America did everything that they possibly could to ensure that we never just seen the light of day. Um, God was absolutely on the forefront in pushing our endeavors, our dreams, his his will um, in the earth. And thank God for God. I thank God for God. We're a faith-based organization. So you will hear us say God. You will hear us talk about faith here in the Can I Live world. Um, Raquel, Raquel yeah. we're not seeing you on Facebook. Oh, right, that's that thing. Okay, so I gotta go on Facebook. And I have to make myself, my profile um, public. So I'll do that in the end. I'll do that in the interim. Um, let's see. So thank you for that, Monette. Let me see. Edit the audience public. I don't know why it does this all the single time, every single time. Okay, Monette, you should be good. All right, so, you know, 
one of the things, I know you guys remember me always talking about this color of law book. Now, here's something that I really want people to know. I almost want to hit myself in the head sometimes because either those that are fighting on the front line is fighting in the wrong fight. And maybe there, there are a few of us out here fighting the right fight. But there's some, a lot of us out on the other side fighting the Fugazi fight, like the fight that looked like the fight, but it's not really there. It's not really the fight. It's the fight that keeps the status quo. It's a fight that you think you're doing a lot because you're saying big words and you got big research reports and you got analysts and you got all this stuff that only you and your people read to continue to make the decisions they make, which, you know, that is important for sure. Um... But I don't know. The fight that I fight is on the ground. It's like every day dealing with families and the barriers and helping them overcome the barriers. And not a lot of people, they're not anointed for that fight. Okay, fine. Everybody is gifted to fight in their lanes. But remember I told you guys that this book right here, The Color of Law, was in fact a very thorough report and collection of documented facts where our government went on record stating that they were intentionally responsible for redlining, discrimination, that you couldn't buy a house back then if Negroes was in the communities. They wouldn't give you a mortgage if they even rented to you, none of that was happening back then. None of it. And this, this book really does a big, a nice breakdown of how the government, particularly who we call today as the housing and urban, what is it? The Department of Housing and Urban Development, which was FHA back then, they had a lot of different names. Okay. It's kind of sort of like the eugenics program did with Planned Parenthood. Back then they thought, you know, let's rid ourselves of all the, the black kids, the retarded kids and anything that wasn't pure white. And we're gonna sterilize women and we're just gonna make sure they can't reproduce or have children or, you know. And so when people started to think, well, that's pretty inhumane. Then they said, okay, well, you know, we're not gonna stop what we're doing. The principle, the spirit behind what we're doing is the same, but we're going to clean it up and we're going to now call it Planned Parenthood. That's why you see most Planned Parenthoods in black, poor areas. You don't see no Planned Parenthoods in rich areas. It's the same thing. So now that it was always against the law, it was okay to discriminate. Discriminating against black people, that was what they did. That was a thing. No, you, you are Negro. You cannot purchase here. But then once people started to really the uprisings, the riots, the advocacy, the marches, and people started to just say, this is not right. Then it's like, okay, 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 okay. Let's not make this right no more. Let's make this right. We're going to put together a law called fair housing and we're going to make it illegal to discriminate against people of color and against people of any of, of you know, race and religion and they put all of these things that they're going to do that did not change the experience black people had 
And so I need you guys to understand that number one, listen, look, you see, I say number one, number one, that's like brother man from the, from the fifth floor, um, from the fifth floor. Number one, you can't legislate love. And we do so much to appease this adversary, this evil one, instead of calling him out, instead of just shunning away from him and not even engaging in his diabolical practices, we want to be like him. So we engage in their practices. That's why we'll go and do all of that crazy trickery. This shit is not, excuse me, this is not that deep. Life is quite simple when you just live by fundamental truths. And so here, when it comes to this Fair Housing Act, I want to read to you what I found on um, HUD's website. And you tell me if this is a crock of bull. So fair housing, of course, the fair housing protects people from discrimination when they are renting or buying a home, getting a mortgage, seeking housing assistance, or engaging in any other housing related activity. It says that particularly, um, let's see, fair housing prohibits the discrimination in housing because of your race, your color, your national origin, your religion, your sex, your familial status, and your disability. So you cannot be denied housing because of those facts. Okay. Mm. That's why women who, well, mostly women, when you have a Section 8 voucher, they can discriminate against you for income. And that's why a lot of states fight income discrimination because income discrimination is not a protected class. So I don't have to fight you because you're Black. If you got a Section 8 voucher, I just don't have to take it. I don't have to take the Section 8 voucher. In which you don't have to, but you don't discriminate against someone just because their source of income is subsidized housing. Because the disparate impact says, how, well, how, if you chose not to take Section 8, how many people would you be, how many people are, would be, dis, what they call it, um, disproportionately impacted? Why we make up 12% of the US population, we make up more than almost 50% of subsidized housing. So failure to take a Section 8 voucher will have a disparate impact on African-Americans. But whatever, that's, that, that's the, that's the hikamahaya, that's just the ridiculousness. So it is illegal discrimination to take any of the following actions because of your race, color, religion, sex, disability, familiar status, yada, yada, yada. You can't refuse to rent or sell a house. You can't refuse to negotiate for housing. You can't otherwise make housing unavailable. Really? So you telling me this, um, this affordable housing bullshit crisis we in, and now I'm, now I'm gonna curse and I'm gonna ask for forgiveness later. Lord forgive me, I'm gonna say it right now. This affordable housing crisis, this shit ain't no affordable housing crisis. This, okay, let's make this clear. There's not a housing crisis because housing is being built as you see. I bet you in your state city right now, cranes is in the sky. People are developing housing. Okay, 
So what they're so who are they really denying the housing to? To the poorest of the poor, those that are making below fifty percent of a average median income. Those are the people that's getting left out of the housing market. So they're, they're, what they're saying is there's no place for those because developers are looking to make a profit. And the profit that they stand to make in a totally um, market, real estate, what do they call it? Private market, you know, development project is totally different from what they would make in an affordable housing project. Um, project. And I don't mean like public housing projects. I mean a project, like something to do. Um, they can't set different terms or conditions or privileges for sale or renting of a dwelling. They can't provide a person different housing services or facilities. That's what public housing does. How, public housing is different from any other housing. I think public, HUD, is, the, I think HUD themselves violate public, their own fair housing, their own fair housing. I also saw in here where you should not, you cannot discourage the purchase of a rental of a dwelling. You cannot assign a person to a particular building or neighborhood. Well, what is public housing? But an assignment of poor people in concentrated areas. So they're saying they're trying to get out of the decon and, and trying to deconcentrate public, public housing, but they're really, are they really? Oh yeah, but because we're having a problem in the private market, private market and real estate developers don't want to open up the project, but you're funding them. Somebody get Jesus, somebody go get him. He just went that way. Um, you cannot refuse to provide or discriminate in the terms of conditions of homeowners insurance because of race, deny access to membership. Let's see. Um, there was something else, it's a long, long list. Impose different sales prices or rental charges. There's something else because I know I told you guys many times before you could buy a house with your Section 8 voucher. So how come nobody's promoting that? Why are people acting like that's not a thing? Why are they not promoting Section 8? And why are they not helping families that before you get the voucher, ensure that they can seize the home ownership component of the voucher? Why is that not a thing? And in here, it talks about how, let me see, um, falsely deny that housing is available. No, provide a person different housing services. So to me, if I was coming into the bank, and you don't know if I have Section 8 or not. The mere fact that most banks don't even write the transactions. I can list the whole slew of banks right now that have never even heard of the Section 8 voucher being purchased for homes. And some of them just don't participate. That is a fair housing violation. And we should be ready just to be suing all the banks now. I mean, that's a real thing because you're denying my access to purchase the housing based on these tools and availability of resources that I have. Even though you guys, you know, rigged the fight, you're supposed to be trying to make it right and you're not. And so ultimately, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people who live in public housing, poverty is a mindset. 
Poverty says that I do not have access. I do not, I, I don't even have the ability to seek out help. I am just salt into the situation and I can't even, I don't even know how to use or maximize a resource if I had one. And so all you talk about 8 million plus families in section housing, section eight housing, almost 5 million in public housing and families still don't know their rights, their basic rights from fair housing of how, you know, there should be no discrimination um, or how their rights should be protected. And that's why this conversation today is important. I wanted to kind of give a little backdrop as to what fair housing is. You hear the term affirmatively furthering fair housing. They come up with these tricky, long, fancy ass terms that don't mean hell or nothing. Because at the end of the day, it's happening all day, every day. And so we have with us uh, Sharice Allen. She's from the Alabama Fair Housing Network. I thought it was really interesting how she even created or came up with her business and the need for her business. But um, I do apologize for the, the black screens. We really did try to get Sharice's photo up there. I think her camera is not working. I'm gonna need us to get these cameras. It is COVID. Get your cameras working y'all out there in, in, in Zoom land, because this is the new normal, okay? And so go on Amazon, get a camera, because this is it. This is where we're gonna be for a while. So I wanna introduce to you guys, um, you know what, I should have had my little YouTube, um, what's that, my little clapping sound effects. You know, I gotta do my sound effects. Um, Monette, do you have Sharice's um, bio that you can read? Okay. Monette. Give me one second. Just briefly. I'm gonna give you, you guys a little overview of the wonderful Miss Allen. Wait one second, guys. Yeah, I, 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 I put Monette on the spot. I know we both had it's it. It's okay. It's okay. No problem. No worries. Fair no. housing. I don't know about you guys. Anybody out there in the live chat? Um, any of the attendees that have, even in the Facebook. If you guys are familiar with um, fair housing, if you have ever had to file a fair housing complaint, you guys should be on this podcast, sharing this podcast, sharing your story and, and be open. If you guys are in the middle of some violations, you definitely want to reach out to Miss Allen. So I'll let... Um, Miss Allen, we'll just kind of do this little phone interview. Um, sorry, if that's okay. Monette, it's okay. I'm just going to introduce, let me see. Let's invite Miss Sharice Allen to the, I was going to say stage. Hey, Miss Allen, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm here 
you know, I'm really excited about this call. I was really excited when I heard your story and I thought by all means, it was definitely time um, to have this conversation. So we're going to kind of take it slow. We're not going to rush it. You know, we might make this a, a, a three-part series, not really sure just yet, depending on how much we get to cover today. Okay. But my first okay. question is, you know, how did Fair Housing become your playground? Like, what was it that triggered this Fair Housing battle in your life? Um, I think for me, um, I'm... You know, I'm black. I'm a woman, and I and I have a mental illness. So um, it's um, and I'm and I'm in the state of Alabama. So I mean, you can have one of those things in Alabama and just be totally ignored. And I've got all four encompassed together. And um, I, I I'm from Tuskegee, Alabama, but I lived in California, Georgia, Florida, and at the time these were all red states. So it wasn't that my state, you know, was a red state or a conservative state. Um, but when I came home to Alabama, um, there was just I never really had any problem with either of those issues. But um, the one that um, the one I think that held me back the most was just finding dignified, um, dignified, respectful housing accommodations. And um, after after eight years of being back home, I I struggled so much and being denied um, reasonable accommodations and um, just housing that. Uh, they did not even know about the Fair Housing Act or HUD rules and regulations, and I had a heart attack at 38. Did you have at a heart attack because of all of the stress? Or you all of the stress. When I, when I went to the hospital, uh, I never forget the doctor. It was a black gentleman, and he was the class of 89. I'm the I'm high school class of 89, and he looked over at me, and he said, Miss Allen, he said, what is going on in your life so much that you've went into cardiac arrest, he said, your heart is perfectly healthy. And I was like, whoa, you know, I said, and I knew, I said, my housing. And he was just like, um, you need to do whatever it is you need to do. You need to give up. You need to let it go. And, um, and what ended up happening is after that heart attack, I... Um, Move away from your mic a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. After after my heart attack, I um, was given um, a medical uh, emergency voucher from Section 8. And for a two-bedroom, so someone could come into my house and do cardiac rehab with me. And um, I had to move from a predominantly black town to a predominantly white town, Auburn, Alabama, and when I went, even though I took my voucher and ported it, when I went to um, Auburn, Alabama, they refused to take my voucher. They didn't know why I needed a two-bedroom. And basically, the bottom line was, is they were like, um, this uppity Negro doesn't deserve a two-bedroom. That's just basically what they were saying to me. Even though Tuskegee had given, ported, you know, given me, um, I, I had, I met all the, I admit all of the conditions for someone who needed a two bedroom. And so when I challenged that, 
I ended up mind you, they just said you don't you don't need a two bedroom despite of your medical records. And for you guys that don't know what a reasonable accommodation is, um, a reasonable accommodation is an assistant or change to a rule, law, federal regulation. Yeah, like so that a person with a disability can use that service. I mean, I've I've said it. I've had to say that that law so many times. I mean, I'm kind of ad libbing, but basically, it's a you know, it's like for someone with a disability, say, um, because of because of my disability, I have obsessive compulsive disorder, agoraphobia, fear of public spaces and germs. So I couldn't go when I went into the hospital to do my cardiac rehab. My heart rate would be so high, and they were like, "What's wrong?" And I was like. Well, I have a fear of germs in public spaces. And they were like, oh my God, we need to, we can come into your home. And so I went to her, I went to her and they assisted me and Tuskegee was kind enough and, and um, generous enough to say, okay, we don't have a hospital here um, and we can't bring it into your home in Tuskegee. So we'll port you to Auburn and we'll pay for it. But Auburn said no. Auburn, I mean, they didn't care that I, I never got cardiac rehab and I ended up homeless for eight years. And um, and just for requesting a reasonable accommodation and being black and being a woman and being poor. And um, and when I, um, it, there were many things that were said to me and um, but what they didn't understand was, first of all, I'm a Christian. So the rules that apply to someone who doesn't have that foundation did not apply to me. I knew that I was created and I was, I was the king's daughter. I was a princess and I knew that, um, and I knew my rights. I took the time to, to um, because I had um, my son inherited uh, my disability, I had to learn early reasonable accommodations, section 504 in the school system. Um, so that I could get accommodations for him in Georgia and Florida. So when I when it came to transferring that to housing, it was it was really kind of easy for me because I had been doing it for about five or six years with my son. And the, the problem was, and the thing that made me so passionate about it is I got tired of walking into, I got tired of seeking help and walking into buildings where people were supposed to be trained professionals. They were supposed to know these laws. They were getting paid to know these laws. And I was the only person in the room that knew these rules and regulations. And the reason was because they, they were focused on the laws that protected middle class. They knew had regulations, but they didn't know had regulations for the vulnerable, for the poorest of the poor. But they knew the regulations that protected middle class mortgages, those type of things. So and so, so okay. here you are, African American. First of all, okay, I done been out of Alabama. Shout out to Mobile, Opelika, Huntsville. I have been to Alabama. I have trained some of the resident councils, me and my partner, Dr. McTarian. And while some the residents themselves are always a pleasure and always just a blessing i we were always like devastated with the state of everybody else was living mm. but not us we were like caged or contained mm. in these very isolated 
jurisdictions with very limited access to decent grocery stores, et cetera, et cetera. So mm -hmm. I can't even imagine trying to do anything like that in Alabama. You better, I mean, that's tough. Yeah. Tough, tough, tough. Yes. Um, but the fact that you had a heart attack and that heart attack prompted a, you were already struggling with housing from the beginning. For eight but years. From, 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 if I'm not understanding, the heart attack really prompted the reasonable accommodation that now you needed a two bedroom so you can have your aid there to do the rehabilitation required for you to get better. Yes. You were denied a two bedroom. Mm -hmm. Even though your doctor's paperwork suggested therapists, cardiologists that you have a two bedroom so you can do this work. Mm -hmm. The Alabama, what was it? The housing authority was in Montgomery? The Auburn, Alabama housing authority. The Alabama was in it was in Montgomery though? Auburn. Auburn. Auburn, Alabama. Uh, um Re, you know, rejected that. And that is when you went on your advocacy. So did you have any advocacy training prior to that ordeal outside of advocating for yourself all this time? No, no. I, um, when I, I, I always had an understanding of the law since I was little. Um, they would, you know, they had nicknames for me like Angela Davis, and you know, they would they would call me um, uh, Harriet Tubman. I mean, I always had. Um, I I was always an advocate uh, for the rights because I didn't even know that I had obsessive compulsive disorder until I was twenty four when I was in in college and I was diagnosed with it. So I um, had no clue that, but. I think in my heart and and spiritually, I just I just I had compassion for other people because even though my disability wasn't considered, um, you know, it wasn't outwardly discriminated against. It wasn't something you could look at and tell. Inwardly, I inwardly I suffered in classes where I felt inferior because of my disability. So in inside I could I could ha I had that empathy for people who were treated um, discriminated were discriminated against and so when this this happened um, eight years I suffered in USDA housing and had my heart attack and then I got my voucher lost um, they retaliated against me I ended up homeless for eight years I've been in housing for um, February the 14th will be one year um, and in that time when I was homeless, um, I was homeless because I demanded that they, I wrote a letter to the president, it was President Obama, and I said that the monopoly of whites and federally funded programs that are predominantly black in Alabama is biased and unfair and racist. And I said, um, I, just, I just told my story. And what happened was, um, I got a letter back from Sean Donovan, Secretary of HUD, on behalf of the president. I got a letter from Eric Holder, um, on behalf of Eric Holder, um, saying that they took my letter seriously. And the next thing I know, in two, maybe a, maybe about thirteen months, um, everybody was was retiring and fired from the HUD, Alabama Department of HUD. And the next thing I know, people they were literally retaliating against me. Nobody would help me. Nobody wanted to 
talk to me. They would, you know, when I would go to different lawyers, um, they would say, oh, we've heard about you. And I was really just blackballed. And I ended up losing my housing. And um, okay, so you actually got the housing. You got it. Yeah, I was in there. Yeah, they, they, um, they, when I got into my housing, they wanted me to sign. Um, at every turn, they wanted me to compromise, and I wouldn't. I was, I was going to insist that they did everything by regulation because that was my right. And they, um, uh, they were, they were intimidated because I knew the law better than them. They were intimidated, and, and the, the thing about it is, a lawyer, it is called his practice because it's what they practice. And even though some of these lawyers and fair housing organizations are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to um, to to advocate on behalf of, of poor black um, disabled, um, they don't they don't practice these laws because um, the average person like me we don't know our rights. The average person was this Auburn again? Auburn, yeah. So this, is Auburn, Alabama mostly like white folks? Yes. I mean, it's, it's um, the, put it this way. The governor right now of Auburn, I mean, the governor uh, of Alabama is a woman, a white woman, and she graduated, uh, she's probably 70-something, and she graduated from Auburn University, and there's a, um, she was in a sorority that performed in, in blackface. So, I mean, you know, it's one thing to have, like, um, white men that perform in blackface, but to have a governor whose sorority performs. She didn't perform, but they do have, like, a recording of her talking about how honored she was, and it was a great opportunity. And, I mean, she was only, like, you know, maybe 19, 20. But um, that's Alabama. I mean, that, that would, I could not see that. Um, Just because the housing authority is white, does that mean that, I'm sure the people that live there are mostly probably black. No, no. Um, the the damage, and this is the thing that I, I talk about. There, there's several things, and, you know, we like I said, we'll, we'll have to get into those later. But one thing that's really, really important and a message that I really want to send out um, to, to the nation is black women. The role that they played in um, just traumatic traumatic and um just opportunities where they had to help me uh, to help me and to lift me up and to um support me and they uh it was it was uh very traumatic the treatment i received from black women in alabama and um it, it you know it says how many black women does it take to become homeless in alabama one just one and um and i i really I speak of, I speak on that because um, we do we need to there, there's so many black women that are empowered just thinking about right now you know the first black woman vice president and 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 there's so many like the NAACP and um, you know there's just so many national organizations um, Lisa Rice uh, uh, the director of the Fair Housing National Fair Housing Organization and there's so many areas where black women are are in the position um, to really to really um, rescue rescue black women um, and black children that are going why do you, huh? why do you think they don't 
Um, what I think is, I think that, um, I think, you know, I, I spoke with um, our partner, Billy, who, who brought us together, and, and he talks a lot about the reason why, what we all have in common, me, you, and Billy, is that we've been through the fire. And, you know, before I moved back to Alabama, the beautiful, the beautiful thing about being a welfare mom, I'm so grateful that you speak on that because it's, it's made you who you are. And, you know, but before moving back to Alabama, my husband was um, Chinese. My husband was from Taipei, Taiwan, had two degrees from Georgia Tech, architect, architecture, construction management, his parents owned businesses. So it wasn't like I was a welfare mom that moved here. I divorced my husband and I was on disability and I came home to Alabama to be close to my family. And no matter how articulate I was or how well-groomed or what I knew, just the fact that I was in public housing made me nothing. And I think that as, I think that um, there were many, um, there were many whites that, um, uh, white people that, that treated me with respect and dignity. And there were many, I mean, one even called me a, 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 the N-word. One of the lawyers at the Open Housing Authority got frustrated with me because he couldn't, he couldn't handle my sauce. <laughs> you know, I was, swing, I was swinging those regulations on him left and right. And he, just, he was like, girl, girl, girl. Oh yeah, he didn't get the dub, but we we both knew what he said. He got me, you know. They 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 were they alienated me because they were terrified of me. I mean, you know, one thing uh, about me, it's a gift. I mean, I just think it's just a pure gift that God gave me. And everybody, you know, my parents, even lawyers, have told me you need to judges, you need to go to law school, you need to go to law school. But no. The beauty of what I do, the reason why I created the Alabama Fair Housing Network is the beauty of federal regulations like HUD, the Fair, House, um, uh, 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 the Fair Housing Act, the Reasonable Accommodation, you know, nobody, you know the ABCs and 123s of, of self-advocacy. You know, just one law started me on this journey, and a guy at HUD, he told me, he sent me the joint statement between HUD and the Department of Justice on reasonable accommodation. And I'm ad-libbing here because I don't have it in front of me, but it says that um, any federally funded, any, any federally funded program with more than 15 employees must employ a Section 504 coordinator to ensure the rights of people with disability to prompt an equitable resolution to complaints. Wow. Now, what that means in a city like Auburn, what the Fair Housing Act, what the Rehabilitation Act, what um, um, HUD rules and regulations mean is that we can, we can level the playing ground. Those rules and regulations, if enforced properly, level, we can level the playing ground. I went on, even after losing my housing, I went on to become a peer support specialist. And um, I just started telling my story and women just started coming out of the woodwork. I mean, I would be at a grocery store and I would be just talking to a friend and they'd be like, can I get your number? And that turned into the Alabama Fair Housing Network in 2016. I've assisted over 25 um, black women um, and children personally 
with um, uh, advocating and representing them in due process hearings, um, um, uh, uh, with um, the, I think the, the, with um, returning to their housing and preventing them from losing their housing. I've assisted over a hundred women and um, uh, just uh, people in general, just um, just by writing letters and calling on their behalf and just just making the slightest little um, gesture to help. And um, the thing was, the reason why I started the Alabama Fair Housing Network was because every time I would go to a meeting, even though under under the um, under HUD rules, due, due process rules, due process rules, you can have anyone represent you, your cousin, your sister, or a lawyer, or a, you know, but you can you have the right at the due process level to represent yourself, to have anyone come in and and assist you, and um, that was something that um, Alabama, especially Auburn, they were abusing that right. And so I didn't have anyone to come in with me. And so I created this, I created the organization so that when I walked in and they would say, are you a lawyer? I'd be like, no, they'd be like, who are you with? And I would be like, I'm with myself. And they were like, well, you can't do that. And so I, I don't have time to teach them the rules and the laws. I don't have time to fight with them about that because we're poor, we're broke, we're coming in here and we need to make things happen. So to, to end that, I created the Alabama Fair Housing Network, and um, and it was just so I would not have to tell you know go through that ignorance with people that they got paid more money than me and knew less about the law than me. And so when I would go in, I'd say the Alabama Fair Housing Network, and they just shudder, and I just do what I do. And um, and after after about I don't know probably about ten or eleven people. Um, it was heartbreaking to see how little, um, how little they knew about our rights, and um, but it was empowering to see that um, that just those laws and just knowing those simple laws and and getting it at that level of due process where you haven't been damaged and harmed the way I was. Uh, if I would have known about the due process system before my heart attack, I would have definitely got things done much faster, but I'm still fighting my case. Um, no one has answered for what happened to me. And um, I, I need to find a Sharice, another, another Sharice to come in to a meeting with me and hold them accountable. And that's why I'm so grateful um, that I, I found you, I found your organization. I think that together we're going to be able to, to make a difference. Yeah, because one of the things I'm already thinking, like my brain is different. So I'm always <laughs> like, oh no, you need a toolkit. We need to get you a toolkit because I think that what has happened to you, you've already, I believe, and I, I can't say because I don't really know how bad that experience was, but the vengeance and the vindication came when you started to help those others. Absolutely. Those hundreds of women back into their housing. That Absolutely. was the vindication. Now yeah. we need to make sure that because I got even some people on Facebook like, hey, I need help. I need help. One of the things that I don't know about us, we'll be laced down, <laughs> down, laced yeah. down, nails done, hair done, yes. everything done, done. You know, I got my hair done. <laughs> yes. And we're feeling good as hell. And hell don't feel good. Okay, mm -mm. Worker, I don't know. I ain't never. Been mm -mm. <laughs> I wouldn't think. When it comes to people like 
like yourself. It's the same with Dr. Mokhtarian. She out there straight saving lives, you know, getting people homes that's doing life bids. Life mm -hmm. And the family will go pay the attorney, but don't pay her. Yeah. Same with you. They would pay an attorney, but they won't pay you. Yeah. And I, and I have, and I refuse. And I, and I learned early on, if they can't afford to pay for your service, they're not your, they're not your target. Customer. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? But we have to teach people to value what's important when it comes to your housing. You trusting these folks here, the same folks, they in the chambers talking about you and trying exactly. to figure out what compromise they're going to compromise because they don't even want you to be a part of it. And Absolutely. so I just need us as black women. Mm -hmm. Really, those in the struggle, those mm -hmm. broke, poor, in public housing, stuck trying to get out. Don't if you don't value yourself, you will never value someone like myself. You That's don't right. Value me more than you value yourself. In fact, you'll look on me either in some type of resentment or, you know, well, who she is, what she, you know, what she, did, when you don't even know the 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 struggle or that we've walked in. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to make sure that we help you monetize because these women, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, they don't have the ability to pay, maybe, because I promise you, we know how to find money. <laughs> we find money when we need to find money now. Yep. Okay? And when, you know, knees might be a little rough out there. <laughs> when, you know, the don't tell me we don't know how to. And I mean, we do. I have seen the resolve of desperate people I have seen, mm -hmm. but we not desperate enough. No. And so I hope, you know, um, the women that have come to you, we just have to monetize and package you, you know, maybe mm -hmm. it's a, as a, you know, before they come and engage, you know, there's a, a, a small fee for, you know, whatever, because, you're not going to pay the attorney's fee and you're not going to get the result that an, an attorney is absolutely not going to get it. Now, you know, legal aid is out there, but good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> good luck with legal aid. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's see how that, that works. You might get locked up. There's some good legal aids out there. there are. Um, mm. But I need us to start cherishing and valuing who we are because yeah. too many young, beautiful black women with these vouchers, they just sit yes. sitting on it. They don't even know how to utilize it. And then some might have just so much how life management concerns, issues, yes. challenges to navigate. Like I, it's bad enough. I got to fight this white man and these white diabolical policy analysts that are so mm -hmm. making it hard for me to move forward on the mm -hmm. left hand. And then in the inside of my house, I got to fight. Sometimes my man, sometimes yes. my sons, my children. I got to fight yes. myself and my own yes. crazy thoughts. I got to fight my family because they <laughs> it's just too much. And a lot of us just shut down. Yes. We just numb out, whether we smoking, smoking yeah. drinking, drugging, eating. We just numb out. Yes. That just erodes us from the inside out. So... I hope that, you know, we'll continue the conversation, I know for sure, because I think it goes deeper than most people now. Let's, I have seen all hustles. And so I know that the housing staff, because they, I believe a lot of them are jaded. I believe yes. that they have seen the hustlers yes. straight, straight up. 
and yes. they automatically think that everybody's trying trying to get a two bedroom for the price of the one. Bedroom. Yes, I mean they both cost fifty dollars. <laughs> yes. You don't have no income. That's all you're gonna pay, no mm -hmm. matter how many bedrooms you have. That's right. Um, but I do think that. It's a shame when you said that the black women who could have helped didn't. Yeah. And and that just goes to tell you the levels of trauma that exists yes. between the least of the lowliest of us. Yes. Maybe up, you know, to those that could have impact that they just didn't even see to it. Like you ain't Nothing. no cool points working for um for um master. Nothing hurts quite as much as um, having your sisters, you know, um, it, it, nothing, nothing tore me down, nothing destroyed my confidence and my morale more, my faith more than um, the experience I had with, with um, some black women and, um, and, and too many, too many. And um, I, um, uh, I say that because, you know, Maya Angelou, uh, they asked her, they were interviewing her and they said, what, what's the one thing you would say to the youth? And, um, and, and that's us. I mean, you know, we're younger than her. And, and she said, tell the truth. Tell the truth. And that's the truth of it. The truth of it was that um, the, the, the experiences I had with black women were very, very traumatic and, um, and heartbreaking. And I, I pray for us to yeah. I pray for us to grow and love one another more. Yeah, and I and I would even move a step forward because I remember having to when I was going through like my there was a period of cleansing that I had to do, and I remember the the Lord was telling me that I needed to forgive America for this experience that I had. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that that was like a thing. I thought you had to forgive like people who did something to you, but it was the spirit yes. that was in this American culture that I yes. Know. Personally, so what I say to you, because I do know that there's righteousness on the side of both and they all righteousness see passes race, color, mm -hmm. religion, all of those barriers. And then there are people who have done their work, who, who, whose souls have prospered to the degree that they want us to prosper. And yes. they do look black. They do look like Latino and Hispanic and Asian and Native American. And they do look white. Yes. And that's where we're going and so i have pushed past just because you look like me doesn't mean you are for me and the agenda that i am for yes i says you know my children you know obey you know my children by the fruit that they bear that's it you know that's it so the only thing i can say is that you know we keep bearing good fruit amen fighting the good fight and let God do his thing because yes, it, it will turn and it has taken me. I'll be like, God, Lord, why is you, don't you see this evil God? Don't you see this evil out here? Why did this happen? Because in the end, in the end, I do feel like it takes a piece of us away in some regards. You have to fight for that, for, for all your pieces to remain intact. Amen. Amen. And there were black women that went to bat for me. I'm talking about, I, I mean, I, it absolutely went to bat for me, but there, there were too far and in between. Mm. And, and it's something that um, 
Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's amazing because uh, in Alabama, the Asian and Indian community were outstanding. I mean, really, I mean, well, that's the Asian community, but um, Vietnamese, Chinese, I mean, and they're in these offices and just the impartiality and attention and to lie and, 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 and things that they, um, it was, it was phenomenal, you know, uh, I, I really, that's just something that stood out. And I think all these details are important, but it did, it stood out. Asian, I mean, um, Vietnamese, Chinese, um, India, these, these uh, people, whether it was a doctor or a therapist or, or someone that uh, um, uh, went to the governor's office on, on minority affairs, um, it was, um, I mean, you know, sister blew me off. She did, but um, the, the and she was going to send me back home, and I paid money to get there, and I was homeless. And the Asian sister set me down and looked at all my evidence, and um, and it's little things like that that we have got to address. We got to tell the truth, and um, and um, people don't like the truth. I think people get. I think we we've, we've been able to lie for so long that yeah. makes people uncomfortable. That's how you know you're in a danger zone. When, yeah. When you're comfortable with being lied to and you're comfortable with lying and the truth makes you a troublemaker. The truth makes you a nuisance. <laughs> makes you a target. Yeah, you're the troublemaker. You're the you're the rebel. Why? Because you speak truth. Yeah. That's insane. When did that become wrong? Jesus Christ. So I know we're at the end of our time. I know maybe next time. I do want to talk about the cases you won because I, I thought what was interesting, you say you won over the 25 cases. Of the 25 cases, seven to eight, you laid a precedent. Yeah. Which is, I don't know if people understand, but there are sometimes everything relies on the precedent. Mm -hmm. If there is someone who has, if there is a court or judge or someone who has taken an issue and dissected it and wrote mm -hmm. some type of a argument, you know, to prove it, its uh, validity, to prove the validity that everything kind of follows suit mm -hmm. to that one thing. So to win president, I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm saying it right. Yeah, presidents, the first time it had been done, basically. The first time it ever been done seven or more times mm -hmm. is you are bad, bad girl. <laughs> Thank you. You bad. Um, you bad to the bone. And I want to make sure that we help you continue. Because we're okay. looking to, to make sure, because we believe our cases will have precedence as well. Yes, but we absolutely. we want to make sure that... And we just want to talk about the basics. What's the basics? You know, next, next, maybe next week we'll talk about the basic one, two, threes, ABCs of advocacy. What's step? That would be awesome. You know, what's step two? What's step three? What's the basic things you have to have? The way you articulate, the words you say. That's how they even take you serious. They they listen. Yes. How you pronounce it? Pronounce it. That's that's right. How you? What what are you? And 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 you. The lingo. The lingo. The lingo is everything. Get him. They know, okay, she know. She, she know. You can't go in there. Well, I just, I, mean, I feel, I mean, my, I got the two parents voucher. I, I got the, the doctor said. The doctor said. 
Imagine going in there. Imagine going in there homeless and just being like, "Okay, God, these women need me. Let me." You know, I was living in a hotel, but technically, that's homeless. When you've lost your voucher and you've lost your ability to, you know, I had a check that that a disability check, seven hundred dollars, but I was paying nine hundred in the hotel. So every week, I mean, every month, I was scrambling for two hundred dollars. That's homeless. And so that's displaced. And so um, within all of that, I would walk in and each time, I mean, they wouldn't even have, they'd be like, uh, okay. I'd be like, and I mean, I would be so shocked. I'd be like, oh my God, they're buying it. But I'm not selling anything. <laughs> but here's another thing. Here's, okay, we're winning. Here's what I, I just got a um, text on Facebook. Um, um, I'm not going to say her whole government, but she's, <laughs> She, I know I'm familiar with her. She lives in Raleigh, North Carolina, and she wants to use her voucher to purchase a home. And Raleigh Housing Authority, number one, they don't have an FSS program. So they don't mm. even have a means for which women mm. or moms can even move or matriculate up building wealth. Mm -hmm. They don't participate in the Section 8 voucher housing purchase program. So I think also we need to drop a fair housing complaint on the city of Raleigh specifically, straight because they're denying, because we just read the violations. If you deny a person an opportunity to purchase housing, you can say, right, what, what, all the Raleigh public housing is 99.9% .9 African-American. What other reason would you be denying? And, and I was going to tell you. Really quick, because I know we got to go, but one thing I want to talk about uh, next time, though, one quick note I wrote down, and it's so good for um, uh, this young lady, is she needs to go look up the Desperate Impact Act and, and the case, uh, the federal case in Texas, which set a presidents. And the, the thing about Desperate Impact, you don't have to call, excuse my language, but you don't have to call someone a nigger. The only thing you need to do, you don't have to, you don't have to be able to prove that you were called at the N-word or something like that. But only thing that you have to prove is that whether they meant to do it or didn't mean to do it, or purposely meant to do it or not, if whatever their action did causes a specific group to be alienated, that is against the law. That is desperate impact. And that's what desperate impact uh, that president set. So if that is a predominantly black area and they're not, they're not doing two things. One, I was, I'm, I'm wondering why they're not doing that. That doesn't sound, it doesn't sound compliant, federally compliant. And the second thing is if they are doing it and they're doing it and it, it affects majority black women or if that's a black housing authority, you know, predominantly black housing authority, then they've got a case for desperate impact. Now, if I'm not mistaken, we need to talk about that on next, the next show. The Absolutely. Because, uh, what's his name? Ben Trump. Um, Ben, <laughs> I don't even want to say it. He, they, they relaxed and took away that desperate impact rule. They oh yeah, attack that. But I mean, they, they, and they got me laughing. They, they saying that my facial expression is, is crazy on the Facebook. Um, <laughs> what I want to say is definitely for Miss Lee out in Raleigh. Um, and I told her. And I'll give her my number. I will. That's what I was going to say. I wanted to know. I'm sorry. Oh, please. Please. Put my information. What would you like? Just your email in the comments or what, Ms. Allen? Oh, no. You could put both. We're, we're, trying to, we're trying to get it started. We're trying to make some things happen. This is your email and your telephone number? Or just email? Well, let's just do email right now. Okay. Huh? Email. 
Oh. What, what do you think? Give I me, think well, just email. Like I'm, no, I'm going to say email. Okay. Here's what we got to do first. Because we're not yeah. going to start this. You're going to come up with a questionnaire. Okay. We're going to do it live and direct. Just, you know, because I know you got a process. Yes. You need that process to be mapped out. You're going to create a questionnaire. We're going to get it online. So that in an email, when people come to you, you just send them the questionnaire, they fill it out. And so you can get a synopsis quickly over what that individual is without taking up 20, 30 minutes of time. Sounds excellent. Sounds excellent. On the phone. Um, Would you be opposed? I'll call you right back, Stuart. Okay. I'm sorry for that. I just hit the phone. I tried to ignore it. But it, no, you asking me a question. I'm sorry. I was gonna ask a question. Um, sure. L and Miss Allen, um, are you opposed to um, putting? Um, I don't know if you have it, but if you have like a cash app or a Venmo, in the comments, just in case people want to make a donation to what you do. I mean, what you do is phenomenal, and it's remarkable, and you should absolutely be blessed. Oh, um, thank you. People are going. If we're going to put your information out there, and people are going to be emailing you. Um, pulling on you and pulling on your expertise, um, the ability to make a donation to you and to your organization and what you're doing, I think would be valuable. Sure. Oh, thank you so much. Well, um, payment gateways. We'll talk about yeah. Yeah. Payment gateways together. Go get. We got on every front from payment. Yeah. To absolutely. I don't have one now, but it, it, that sounds so beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. That's why we. Uh. Uh-uh. Get it. Don't even go to sleep tonight until you open up a PayPal account. At least make a cash app. Cash okay. App and PayPal. Oh, I have PayPal. I do. Okay. Well, cash app is simple too. You could do that. Okay. Because here, what you can't be fighting is fight in a, in a hotel or a, yeah. The devil is a liar. Yeah. No way will we do that. Yeah. Um, but God's will be done overall. Amen. Um, and sometimes it's just structuring. You just you're walking out your passion. You're helping people, and that's the most important thing. We can help. Yeah. You know, we have people like Monette and I, and, and our team here. We run a resident-owned business incubator, so we got access to coaches and access to tools to help you. That's and my baby too. My my like <laughs> and me too. And so we have the tools to help monetize you and your you know in your small business. But I definitely uh, want to, Monette, we need to get with uh, Miss Lee, who's on the Facebook, who says she wants to purchase her house, for the, wants to use her voucher to purchase a house, but the city of Raleigh is not, um, they, are, they, they don't participate. And participating in the Section 8 Home Ownership Voucher Program really, really is nothing. It costs no money. It requires nothing else for them to do. And it's just that they have to just participate. I mean, that is that is um, that is that's very unusual. Um, it is not as unusual as you think. There's a lot of housing authorities that don't participate in the home ownership program. But when your your population is most ninety nine percent African American, yeah, and you don't participate, <laughs> I'm coming for y'all. Yeah, um, but we have ca- to be knowledgeable, and you can't you you know the 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 impact has already happened. How many women before now had not have been robbed of an opportunity to build wealth? Mm-hmm. Raquel, I don't yeah. know. Do you want to um, just drop a little 
sneak peek as, as to what we have coming up in the beginning of next year in regards to our seminar in February? Do you want to talk about it or do you want to hold off? Um, it's good stuff, guys. I probably should. So most of you guys know, remember when I was just telling Sharice Allen about the resident-owned business incubator? And so most of the, what the resident-owned business incubator was created simply because not only is fair housing a thing, but the biggest or most classified um, regulation, we like to say section three. Section three is the starting point of self-sufficiency. And it basically said wherever HUD monies are spent to the greatest extent feasible, tra um, training, employment, and contracting opportunities should be afforded to low-income residents, particularly those receiving you know, housing subsidies or anyone poor in that area. And so we've created the resident-owned business incubator because we just got tired of contractors constantly telling um, housing authority staff, you know, or, you know, just, oh, we couldn't find anybody qualified. So we just decided that we would qualify them themselves. And because section three, um, there's about $18.9 billion, which is 40% of HUD's budget, about 18.9 billion, which equates to almost $16 million a week in wages. 16 million. I want you to think, yeah, I, I'll take that. I'll take one week <laughs> and I'll give you the next week. And then somebody else, but $16 million a week in wages is up for grabs. Or I don't want to say up for grabs, but if the regulation would be enforced, and I curse her to the ground, I curse it in the name of Jesus, and they diabolical, racist, discriminatory practices. Um, if it was to be enforced, that's how much money would come into low-income communities. And what we want to do, I'm going to share my screen, what we want to do with the um, Section 3 trade show that we have coming up and moving forward, all of these trade shows and events that we'll be having on the Roby Connect platform, we want to make sure that that 16 million dollars a week in wages, we know where that money is. And so we're working on producing an economic footprint. So where you said there's 18.9 billion and there's 16 million a week in wages, where is it? Is it, What DC look like? What New York look like? What Raleigh look like? What Greensboro look like? What Charlotte look like? What Houston look like? Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? What does each, because that's where, because it's just in the clouds, the money's in the clouds, everything, the process in the clouds. We just did the ghost protocol, section three ghost protocol. If, if we want to find out where that money is. So we're doing and launching the very, very first section three trade show, Pitch and Expo. In fact, as of tomorrow, 11 o'clock, we send we're sending out our press release and we're going to start fully promoting this event. We have four events for the year planned. In fact, Monette, we need to send um, Hamza so that they can make sure that they change these um, attend buttons to the actual link to the registration for each event. In our okay. spring conference, we have um, like a heads of state where we're inviting mayors, city councils, public housing executives to come in and really help us direct. The goal is to direct $100 million towards resident-owned businesses. I don't care if you're a florist. 
you could then put the flowers up in some of these places. You clean, you could do the cleaning. You landscape, you could do the landscape. You um, are construction, painting, excavation, you know, or demolition, trucking, hauling, accounting. Um, you know, there's so many things that we could fit you in into a section three project just to get the work performance. And so it's important that we as residents make sure that we're in the building, especially if you, now if you do hand nails, we probably can't, that don't mean we won't promote you unless the contractors that get the HUD money wanna get their nails and stuff done. Hey, they can still come and support you. But in the light, in the light of Black Lives Matter and economic justice, economic inclusion, we wanna make sure that we're doing our part to ensure. So we have a, se a series of workshops. We have some roundtable discussions happening. We have a pitch competition. We give it like $6,000 away in cash for the resident owned businesses that graduate the Roby program. We have um, cash giveaways just for engaging. Uh, we'll have um, exhibit halls where contractors will be able to show showcase their upcoming bids for their project, what it means to work with them how to get access to, you know what I'm saying, to more than an e-blast. So you'll be on the lookout. We'll start promoting it. You'll see it on Facebook for sure, moving forward. But definitely start doing some research. Um, just how are you going to get a piece of the pie in, in 2021, you know? Don't forget about February. Do you want to mention that or not yet? Oh, so yeah. And February, she'll see that. Kalila, um, She'll see also we have a, an event called Flip My Voucher coming out. So if you go to canilive.org, just click on the events tab and you'll see all the events that we have coming out. Flip My Voucher is pretty much a webinar, which I would expect you to be at, Miss Lee. Um, if you have Section 8 and you are looking to um, turn that voucher into a home ownership opportunity, and we'll teach you about the process of if you're a housing authority that manages your voucher, does not participate, what steps do you take? But what are the, you know, the, the crux? What does it look like? What does it mean? And how do you go in and advocate for your right to purchase housing and own your own home um, with your voucher? So we're really, really excited about that too. Thank you, Monette, for that. But making sure, um, Sharice, that's something that we have to definitely add I need you to probably look at um, when it comes to fair housing, I know the whole home ownership piece is a violation if they're not participating. I couldn't hmm. imagine why it wouldn't be. But that no. might be, hey, that might be another precedent for you. Hello. And that's when I, I mean, and that, that goes back to what I'm talking about when you talk about predominantly black areas like, you know, in Tuskegee, of course, my, my um, housing authority is all black. Of course it is, you know, so probably in Raleigh, the chances that, um, you know, it, it, it is predominantly, well, no, in Auburn, no, it is different, depending on how big the city is, but, um, you know, and it goes back to those things when you cut, when it comes to the NAACP legal aid, the national, um, the national, what is it, national organization of uh, black journalists. I mean, all of these type of, of organizations can speak for us, can spread our story, can, you know, it's done, it's done um, on other levels so much in the Hispanic community, in the Asian community. I mean, you know, 
um, reporters and congressmen and congresswomen that relate with those um, with, um, uh, uh, that you know that share their heritage. They they are they are apt to step forward, but it's um, it's really wanting when it comes to the black community, and it's just something we gotta you know it's just um, this is something we gotta work on. Yeah. And I think we're doing a beautiful job. I mean, I love the black community I was raised and all black community. I, I, I tell Tuskegee is the closest you can get to Mecca, you know. <laughs> and so um, I, I think, but I think we can do better. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Sharice, for spending your time. I think, yeah, we'll come next week with the ones and twos and A, B, with the A, B, C. Oh, that sounds awesome. Let me write that down. A, B, C. Yeah. <laughs> a, B, C. One, two, three. Up. And I'm sorry, guys. I, I really was winging it today, but I'll, I'll be prepared. <laughs> no, you're fine. We'll, we'll talk about that, and we'll have more information on the if there's any type of um, case law that exists right now for housing authorities that refuse to sell, that refuse to offer home ownership voucher. Is that, and could that potentially be a a fair housing violation. So, I'm going to jump on that and um, I'll probably send, if I find something, I'll send it, I'll uh, text it to you. Okay, perfect. So you guys, thank you for tuning in. Again, look out for our upcoming events, um, our Section 3 trade show and I'll flip my voucher, um, home ownership from Section 8 to home ownership. Be sure to like us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all your social media handles. And share this live. And share this live event. And shout out to Juicy Legrand and 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 she, um, I used to love them. They we they were really they're like my sisters, um, from New York, and they did a whole meme on all my facial expressions. Sakia, Maria, um, and it's, they were so beautiful, and they still are. So shout out to them. Um, they're out there creating memes because my facial express expressions are crazy. <laughs> And, and can I shout out to my son real quick? Go ahead. Shout out to Chadwick. I love you so much. Thank you for always believing in me and supporting me. I love you. Amen. All right, you guys. Same time, same place next week. You guys have a good night. Talk to you soon. Okay.